worship a little bit later on, but we're going to spend a little bit of time looking at the Bible together, a passage. We uh, do this week by week, and I want to take us to Colossians chapter 1 and read a prayer uh, that Paul prays for the believers. I don't know how, how you learnt to pray I don't know when you first became a Christian who just sat down with you and, and prayed with you. Or even now, if you, if you have a desire to, to, to learn how to pray, I'd encourage you to go and pray with people. Go and pray with someone who's longer in the faith than you. Find a prayer partner or a prayer triplet um, so that we can learn to pray. But as we read Paul's letters, we have that privilege of seeing Paul at prayer and learning from him. So Colossians chapter 1, verse 3 onwards. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up in heaven for you and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You heard it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's just pray together. Father, we thank you for your words, and we want to be a people of word and spirit. So as we look at this passage together, enable us to understand how to pray for one another, how to model that in our relationships with one another. We ask for your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. We uh, live in a very confusing world. I was sent this um, uh, sort of quiz uh, this week uh, as, uh, as I was preparing for this. And it was, uh, the title was The World's Easiest Trivia Quiz. Okay, see how you get on. How long was the Hundred Years' War, England and France? Yep, 116 years. Which country makes Panama hats? Ecuador. 
From which animal do we get cat gut? I had to look that up because I'm not a musician, but the musicians will know. Sheep and horses. In which month do the Russians celebrate the October Revolution? November. The Canary Islands are named after which animal? Dogs. There you go. What are camel hair brushes made of? Squirrel fur. You wondered where all the squirrels went? Okay. And where are Chinese gooseberries from? Of course, they're from New Zealand. So I didn't do very well in the quiz when I did it. We can live in a very confusing world. We wonder who's telling the truth or not. Have you not wondered that, watching the news in the past few weeks? Who's, who's actually telling us the truth? How do we know who to believe? The Apostle Paul, when he writes to this church in Colossae, and, and it's probably a group of churches that he's writing to. And the letter would have been read out and their gatherings week by week. They would have read his letter out. And he wants to encourage them in the truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel. He wants to reassure them of their place in Jesus Christ. He wants to affirm them in their Christian walk, he wants to write to challenge those who would confuse the believers. Because he has heard from uh, one of his friends that there have been some teachers coming into the young church around Colossae and preaching a very different gospel. Now, Paul didn't actually plant those churches around Colossae. They are thought to have been an overflow of the mission to Ephesus. And some of those who were converted at Ephesus, there's a guy called Epaphras who is named in this uh, introduction to his letter, took the gospel and established those early churches around Colossae. There would have been Laodicea in Herapolis as well as Colossae. But the early church there was under pressure. They were being confused by these itinerant preachers who were coming in. They were preaching a different gospel. They were saying that actually you need Christ plus this extra if you're going to be a real Christian. That they had new insights, new revelations, mystical knowledge to share with them. They had stricter rules about what they could eat and drink. They were starting to say that actually, if you were not perfect, you would not be accepted into the kingdom of God. It was not the true gospel. And there was a tendency to play down the importance of Jesus. Hence, if you go further on in chapter 1, there's this glorious description of who Jesus is. The supremacy of Christ. It's one of the greatest passages in the New Testament describing who Jesus is. So there was a lot of confusion around those early believers. And, and Paul wants to write to them. He wants to encourage them. 
to stay faithful to the gospel that they have received. He wants to ensure that they know that no extras are required. If you have faith in Christ Jesus, that is enough. And so he begins this letter, and he will address some of the issues, but he begins by just encouraging them. He wants to thank God for them. Whenever Paul begins letters, he he always begins with thanksgiving. Just his very writing to those believers would have been an encouragement to them, contrasting to the false teachers who were just saying, you're not good enough. You're not good enough. You need more. Thanksgiving and gratitude... I believe, is a sign of maturity. Paul is one of those who give thanks in all circumstances. Whether he's in prison and he's writing this letter from prison in Rome. He's not a free man. He's writing from prison. But Paul never, never got over the fact that Jesus came and died for him. Never got over the fact of the wonder that God had done an extraordinary thing for everyone who would believe. So that thanksgiving in Paul is something that we can learn from. It's one of the hallmarks of the Christian faith. We've sung this morning, blessed be your name. Whether the sun's shining or whether the, the, the road is rough and whether there's pain and suffering, we still come and we want to praise God because He is good. And worship springs out of that thanksgiving, out of that gratitude. I'm always encouraged by the stories I hear from the persecuted church of how they stay in that place of thanksgiving. I read this week um, about Richard Wormbrandt, who was a a Christian in the days of uh, Soviet rule over Romania. And he was arrested. He was one of the main Christian leaders in Romania during those times. And uh, after days of torture and isolation, he was put in this tiny cell. But he was given his Bible. He was allowed to have his Bible. And he read from Luke's Gospel, chapter 6, verse 23, Jesus says this, Rejoice in the day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. Imagine that quiet time he's having this morning. In that prison cell, he reads this passage from Jesus. What does he do? He starts leaping around the cell. He takes Jesus literally and he says, I'm just going to leap around with joy. And he starts leaping around and shouting. The prison guard thought he'd gone mad. That the strain of uh, all the torture had been too much and that... Actually, he would be no use to anyone for questioning. So the guard ran, came back with a huge hunk of bread and cheese and sugar. More than he'd had in the whole of the last week put together. And he later wrote in his diary that, reflecting on his time in prison, that he took Jesus at his word. He obeyed his word literally and found he was given not only a reward in heaven, but a reward here on earth as well. Thanksgiving, in the midst of the darkness, it goes counter to everything that we would think, wouldn't it? But Paul is the same. He encourages the believers to not stop giving thanks. 
the enemy would rob us of all our joy. The enemy would come and say, look, there's your God for you. Look where you've ended up. Look what's happened to you. He does it all the time. To rob us of our joy in Christ Jesus. The way to overcome it is to rejoice. To give thanks to God. When we're questioned by the enemy, are we loved by God? The answer is yes. Yes. Paul says to those believers, he can't stop giving thanks to them because of their faith. He is so encouraged that they're holding on to their faith in Jesus. And they're showing the love of Christ to all the believers. He says, we always thank God for you. Because your faith is standing firm. Faith in Jesus pleases Father God. He says, we've heard of your faith and your love for all God's people. And he says that that faith and love is based on the hope that we have. How can Richard Wormbrand jump for joy in his cell because of the hope that he has? How can believers around the world stand up for their faith under such pressure because of the hope that they have? And these things, faith and love and hope, appear again and again in Paul's writings. They are like the hallmarks stamped on the believers It appears in Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Thessalonians. Faith in Christ is the real sign of having the Holy Spirit. The false teachers in Colossae would have said, actually, if you really want to know if you've got the Holy Spirit, you're exhibiting these extraordinary things. Supernatural abilities and things like that. No, says Paul, if you have faith in Christ Jesus, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Because you cannot have faith in Christ Jesus without having the Holy Spirit. Of course you can go on being filled with the Holy Spirit and deepening your relationship with Him. But he recognizes that those believers were being undermined. You're not really Christians. You've never felt that from the enemy over your life? You're not good enough? The love for the saints, the love for God's people is something, again, that we cannot manufacture. We're put in this amazing family called the church and called to love one another. And it's a supernatural thing that happens, that we can love one another. That we can spend this morning praying for brothers and sisters we don't know about in Nepal or in Nigeria or wherever because we know that we're part of the same family and we love them. You know how how encouraging it is for people living in those places to know that they're remembered by the church and the rest of the world. And hope. It springs, he says, from the hope that we have. So important to be reminded of the hope that we have. Hope in Paul's vocabulary has to do with the ultimate future. And it comes with an assurance that is steadfast and certain. No human or otherwise can touch the hope that we have. And hope changes everything. Hope we have in Christ changes everything. 
when we face death and grieving. Paul encourages us to grieve. It's, it's an important part of when we lose a loved one. But we don't grieve as those who have no hope. We have hope. And so Paul commends the believers for their faith in Christ, for their love for God's family, but that hope. And I just want to break that hope into just four quick. Hope is knowing that heaven is our home. It's an interesting word he uses later in this prayer for them. He says, you are qualified by Jesus Christ. Again, it's a reflection on the teaching that they'd received from these rogue teachers coming in, saying, well, you, you can't really be sure unless you've got this or that. Paul wants us to know that our hope is firm and secure because heaven is our home. And he has qualified us. Now, if we had to qualify ourselves for heaven, that would be awful, but we don't. We are qualified by Jesus Christ. Heaven is our home. That's our assurance. We can know for sure, without a shadow of a doubt, because we have faith in Christ. We're on our way home. We are pilgrims making our way through this life, rescued, ransomed, healed, forgiven, but our ultimate home is to be with God eternally. Secondly, the O stands for God's omnipotence. If you're not familiar with that word, it's, it's God is all-powerful. Nothing is too difficult for God. Nothing is hopeless when we walk with God. Again, the enemy would want to come in and say things are hopeless. Not a bit of it. Because we have this hope. And P is for the promises of God. You know, it says in the Bible that God cannot lie. And God always keeps his promises. So when the pressure comes, it is about who you're going to believe. Call to mind some of the promises of God. If you're tired this morning. Feeling a little bit burnt out. Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. If you're feeling unloved this morning, the Bible says that God says, I have loved you with an undying love. If you feel weak, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. If you don't know which way to go, if you've got a decision to make in your life, well, God promises that if you commit your way to him, he will make your path straight. He promises in Proverbs that he will direct our steps. If you feel this morning that your resources are running out, the Bible says that God says, I will supply all your needs. If you're feeling alone, God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. So Paul writes and says, I want to encourage you in the truth. And these things you can depend upon. And the E is for encouragement. Be encouraged. Encourage one another. There's nothing like being encouraged by people, is there? 
You know, when you feel discouraged, isn't it great when someone comes alongside and encourages you? Paul was a great encourager. Giving courage to people. Paul facing death, writing this letter in prison. He could have written about lots of different things, but he wants to encourage them. It's one of the great ministries of the church to be an encourager of people. We have this hope fixed on God, so be encouraged. And then he says this thing about... He wants them to know that they may not know this, but the, the gospel is bearing fruit all over the world. However much pressure they felt in their little place in Colossae or, or you know, Laodicea or wherever, he wants them to know that the gospel is bearing fruit all over the world. Because the gospel bears fruit in every good soil it finds. And we have the privilege to hear about it and see it. Now, sometimes we can get discouraged. One of my greatest friends, uh, such a godly man, was called Ted Earl. He'd been a Baptist minister for many, many years. And he used to pray with me. He was one of the guys I learned to pray with. He used to come around every week in my previous church to pray with me. And he said that he'd spent 30 years in ministry, never seen growth in any of the churches. He'd seen people come to faith, but never that kind of growth that he'd longed to see. Yet he was a faithful man of God. But he expressed his disappointment. He'd longed to see so much more. But he never gave up. And sometimes we might feel, you know, we want to see so much more than we have seen then we continue, we never give up. But just to encourage you, in the last hundred years, in sub-Saharan Africa, those who call themselves Christians has increased from 9 million to 516 million. In the Philippines, from 8 million to 87 million. In China, from 2 million to estimated between 80 and 100 million in the last hundred years. The gospel is bearing fruit all over the world. All over the world. And Paul encourages them to have a bigger perspective. That we're called to be church, but we're not alone in this. We're part of a missionary movement across the world. And not only a global perspective, but a cosmic perspective because our Lord Jesus is making all things new. He is going to... Renew the whole earth and the whole of creation. He's about that work. So rejoice. The gospel is bearing fruit all over the world. And so Paul prays for them. From verse 9 onwards, he prays for them. And he prays this kind of just cycle of prayer. I just want to put it up. That they be filled with the knowledge of God's will. And that would, in turn, lead them to living lives worthy of the Lord. Bearing fruit for the kingdom of God. Growing in the knowledge of God. And it goes round and round and round. And he prays for them. They they would be filled with the Spirit. 
that they would know God's will and wisdom by the Holy Spirit, that they would live out the truth of who they are in Christ, live a life worthy, seeking to please God in every way. Paul has a great confidence in the power of God at work. He also prays for patience and endurance for them because he knows it's tough. Tough place for them at that time. And he ends with that passage about you have been qualified by Jesus Christ. We've been rescued by the grace of God. It's all about him. If you want to learn how to pray, get praying. Get praying with others. Get praying with the scriptures in your hands. This is a wonderful prayer to pray over people. Take the scriptures, the prayers in the scriptures, and pray them over people. Pray them together in our homes. We're going to worship together in a moment. I just want us to pray. I'm going to invite Sally and the band to come back. Shall we pray together?